0: You are listening to As a Woman, episode 27, Private Practice Life, an interview with Dr. Rupa Wong. Rupa is a close friend of mine. She was an internet friend turned real life friend. She is also an accomplished business owner and a busy working mom. In this interview, we're talking about Rupa's own journey to private practice and owning her own business, why she made the choices she made, We'll talk about her fertility journey and more details about what Pinnacle Conference is and why we started it. Listen here. Welcome to As a Woman, the podcast hosted by fertility physician, Dr. Natalie Crawford, to educate and empower women. Each week, learn about your health, your fertility, and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community, fostering collaboration over competition while learning how to authentically find your voice and amplify others, As a woman, hi friends. Welcome back to As a Woman. This is episode 27, Private Practice Life. In this episode, we're interviewing one of my dear friends, Dr. Rupa Wong. She's been a huge inspiration to me as a woman in medicine, a working mom, and I'm constantly impressed by all she is able to manage. We are specifically talking about private practice, her journey from academics into not only being in private practice, but why she chose it and how she went about starting her own practice that she and her husband own. A little about Rupa. She's an ophthalmologist. She has fellowship trained in both pediatric ophthalmology and adult strabismus. And she was in Boston where she completed her fellowships, and she stayed on at Boston Children's for faculty for three years. After that, she ended up moving to Hawaii, and she's been a managing partner of her three-doctor practice called Honolulu Eye Clinic. She is also a clinical associate professor at the University of Hawaii School of Medicine, and she works with her husband, Jeff. Together, they have three kids, and she is passionate about so many other projects. You can follow her on Instagram at Dr. Rupa Wong. Her blog is the same, drrupawong.com, and she even has a growing YouTube channel, Dr. Rupa Wong. She's been a friend of mine for a while, and together, we are hosting Pinnacle Conference. Pinnacle Conference is something we are very, very excited about. Now, for those of you in medicine or on the medical journey, you may or may not know about conferences. I didn't go to my first medical conference until I was a resident. So in medical school or earlier, I didn't really understand what they were. They are a unique and wonderful opportunity for networking and professional growth. Really, when you find so many other people and you intensively spend time with them, you will be inspired, and you will really start to think about your life, especially professionally, and how you focus In Pinnacle Conference is a conference for women in medicine, and really, we want to teach women the things we were never taught in medical school, the business side of being in practice, the things we need to know. A few details. Pinnacle Conference is in Dallas, December 6th through 8th. It starts in the evening of Friday the 6th with a cocktail champagne hour it's going to be all day saturday with a gala that evening and then sunday we'll have yoga mindfulness and an optional social media workshop regardless it's going to be a great time to be around other female physicians and have such talks as leadership being a woman in a man's world contracts negotiation marketing finances and more I'm going to start by telling you a story about how Rupa and I really amplified our friendship. So Rupa had always been a fun internet friend. I love her Instagram page, and she's super inspirational. But I went through a job transition in the fall, as most of you know. And when I realized my current position wasn't the right one for me and put in my notice, I reached out to some of my friends, and she was one of them, Trying to just talk about how do I do this? How do I navigate this world? These are the contract offers I'm getting when I was getting offers from other places. And she was somebody who really took it for a moment and said, Nat, what are you doing? Why are you accepting these terms that they are giving you? You need to fight back on them and you need to negotiate like a man. What she meant is that I needed to go in and not be fearful of just telling people what I needed hey, this is what I need. And really, with the current job I'm now in, that's wonderful, that's what I did. When I went in to negotiate with it, I sat down and said, these are the three things I need to make this work. Otherwise, we just shouldn't talk anymore because it's not going to be a good fit. And they said yes. They just said yes to them. There was no negotiating. We'll give you those three things. Let's start to get to the nitty gritty. And I had always been more passive when it came to negotiation, I was so nervous of seeming greedy or ungrateful or causing conflict that I walked that line of, oh, maybe, or how about, I really would like, is there any way, this very passive way of negotiating, instead of being true to myself and coming in and saying, hey, this is what I need. So Rupa was huge for me in this transition because she really changed my mindset when it came to negotiation. You don't have to settle for anything. What's your worst case scenario? My non-compete was a year. So my worst case was that I mommed for a year. And when you realize your worst case is not so bad, I mean, things would have to change. We'd have to sell our house. We couldn't afford this house without my salary. And we'd have to cut back and we wouldn't travel. Certainly things would be different. Jason's family lives in town. And if we had to, we could move in with them for a year. We had a plan. Our worst case situation was not the end of the world. And that gave me a lot of comfort and power to go into a negotiation saying, it is not worth doing if I'm not going to be happy. And her take on that was super empowering to me. And then afterward, what came out of this, we're talking about all my different contracts. I'm like, I got this offer. I have this offer. Here's the pros and cons. Here are these. She said, why does nobody teach us this? So I was on a group text with her, uh, Pam Meta, and Danielle Jones and she said, don't you think women, specifically, women need to know these things. Why are we never taught how to negotiate? Why are we never taught how to play the game in business about finances? Why when I go get a bank loan with my husband, they look at him, but I'm the one making the decisions? Why, why, why? Wouldn't it be great if there was an opportunity for us to bring experts in these different fields together together? and have a place where women could learn the business side of medicine for private practice. And that's where it started. The moment Rupa said, hey, let's do this, the three of us jumped on board, and we've been moving in rapid fire to get a great place for the conference. It's the Four Seasons in Dallas. We went there for a trial. It's amazing. And thinking about asking people who we know who are going to be amazing speakers, and everybody said yes. We approached these women with our idea, and they said yes. We approached sponsors saying, hey, can you sponsor this for us and help us pay for some of this conference? And they said yes. Everybody is rallying behind the idea that by educating women, we can empower them the most. And you know I love that. So I'm going to jump in now. Thanks for this super long intro. And we're going to talk to Rupa a little bit about her journey so you can get to know her better if you don't already know her and understand where we are coming from. Hey, everybody. So I am here with Dr. Rupa Wong. Rupa, we are so excited to have you on As a Woman. Thank you for being here.
1: Thanks so much, Natalie, for inviting me to speak about all these topics that are so important to me as well as to you. And I'm just so excited.
0: I know. I love it. So I want to start by having you give us a little bit about your journey in medicine, how you chose ophthalmology and doing fellowships and what that looked like for you.
1: So, I always knew I wanted to be a physician. My mother is a physician, and I think I grew up being inspired by her. Her sister was a physician. So, I saw these strong professional women throughout my life. And I started doing internships, even in high school, in medicine and research in medicine. When I was in college, I just started doing more volunteering and did research again. But, med school is really where I decided, of course, on ophthalmology, which was just so out of left field for me. I went in. To med school thinking I was going to be a psychiatrist like my mom. And oh, so, so different to go so different. So, so different. I really, that was what I expected to be. And she's a child psychiatrist. And she told me that's not the field for you, but you need to figure that out on your own, which was of course, correct. It's not the field for me. I needed something a lot more black and white. I needed something with a really defined end. And psychiatry has these patients that you're treating for many years and it's, you, you can never really cure someone, right, of their of their disease. It's just a very different end result of what you're trying to achieve with their treatment. And I found that I liked surgery in medical school, which was such a surprising thing to me. I didn't, I just never expected that I would be a surgeon and I was a little bit late to it. I found that I liked the microsurgery aspect. So I was deciding between ophthalmology and ENT and I was a little later in my third year. And so I really had to hustle to get some good mentors to be able to help me through the entire process.
0: Now, when you you so you did fellowship, you liked pediatrics, but then you decided to stay on as faculty and academics, right?
1: Yes. So I did my fellowship at Boston Children's Hospital. And it's a dual fellowship in pediatric ophthalmology and adult strabismus business. And it is I think the largest pediatric ophthalmology department in the country. And it's amazing. The chairman is fantastic. He's so supportive. All of my old mentors are really great. It really was my dream job in so, so many ways and just allowed me to have time to do research and to teach, which I really enjoy doing. So about December of my fellowship year, right when we found out that my husband matched in his fellowship in Boston, my chairman offered me a job, which was great. So I didn't yeah, have Yeah, that's wonderful, to... right? That's the dream. Like, great, I don't have to look for something. I don't have to look for anything at all. It was wonderful, yes, so. That contract, so
0: I'm just curious because we're going to be talking about contracts in private practice too. Yes. Was that a negotiable contract? Or was that just like, here is our contract, take it?
1: So it basically was, here's our contract. And I was talking with my brother who is a PhD, but he does a lot of business. He used to work for Boston Consulting Group. So he was really in tune with negotiation. And he said, you know, you should negotiate. You should never just take the first offer. So I went in a little blind, not knowing what I should negotiate for or how I should negotiate or, or anything. Uh, They basically gave me a contract. They told me, here's your salary, here's bonuses, here's the structure we can give you a loan through the hospital to buy your first house. They went through everything and I tried to negotiate a little bit on the salary and the chairman kind of just laughed a little and said, nope, sorry, this is what we give all junior attendings across the board, male or female sorry, this is it. So I signed.
0: (laughs) And I think that's the story we hear for so many women in academics, right? This is our offer, take it or leave it. And of course, at that time, with your hubby still in training, you needed a job. And I think it makes sense. I know, and I don't know if my audience knows, you're married, your hubby, Jeff, I know Jeff, he's great. He's an ophthalmologist. Also, you met during training, and he was behind you in training, even though you're the same age the decision to move from Boston to Hawaii was personal because that's where Jeff is from. How come or did you look at academics in Hawaii or was it always you were going to do a private practice thing there?
1: So they don't have an academic department for ophthalmology in Hawaii. So that was just not an option at all. We couldn't do it. We did look at a lot of the larger HMOs, and multi-specialty group practices, but none of them were hiring either a pediatric ophthalmologist or a general ophthalmologist, cornea specialist like my husband. We contacted every private practitioner we could to see if they wanted a junior associate, and none of them were interested because Hawaii is very small town in a lot of ways. Most people are in single physician, single practice kind of things, and it was a very difficult situation because we were moving... And we had nothing. We had no jobs between the two of us. Somebody needs a job, right? Someone needs a and job.
0: I, I'm curious, when you and Jeff first got together and you're both in training, did you ever think in the back of your mind, like maybe we
1: would own a practice together? Never. in <laughs> Never in a million years did I ever think that we would work together. We worked together all through residency, so I knew that we could do it. But it was just not something I had ever considered. And you grow up in academics with going to residency and fellowship and you go to these hospitals, these large university hospitals, and you kind of just assume that's where you're going to stay or in a, if not that exact same hospital in a similar setting. I had honestly not even really considered private practice at all before we were faced with the decision we need to open a private practice together because there's nothing else out there. So we certainly never thought about working together until we were just really forced into it. And it ended up being great that we were, but it would not have been something that 5, 10, 15 years ago, you've asked us, we would have thought about.
0: How is it working with your husband day in and day out? So you manage a practice together, you manage a house together, you have three kids together. How, How do you balance all of that without getting sick of each other?
1: I think the key is we do have different schedules in the office. So that's good. And honestly, sometimes I feel like we barely see each other because we're so busy actually seeing patients in the clinic and our our schedules are staggered. So alternate days, he'll work through lunch or I'll work through lunch or we start early or end late so that there's not too much congestion in our patient waiting room. So a lot of times I barely feel like we see each other and dinner time is when we really can connect. I think it's great in so many ways though, because He is a partner that I can trust implicitly. And we hear all these horror stories about women or men that join these private practices as a junior associate and get taken advantage of in terms of their working condition or their salary or or whatever it is. And he and I are just 50-50 and there's none of that drama associated with running our practice. We're always on the same page as to how we want to handle the practice. So that really helps.
0: And now a word from one of our sponsors, Caraway. Spring is coming and I always love a good home reset. Non toxic cookware is the perfect way for you to kick off your own spring cleaning. With so many collections to explore, there is a Caraway for every cook. Their internet famous kitchenware is a staple for any home. It comes with beautiful shades to fit your aesthetic, but most importantly, you're ditching the chemicals. Caraway's non toxic kitchenware comes a chemical-free ceramic coating so your food can be prepared without any of those hard to pronounce chemicals leaching in to your healthy ingredients. Everybody knows that I am a big believer that our environment impacts our body and that's why I trust Caraway with my cooking. Visit carawayhome.com aaw to take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for our listeners so visit carawayhome.com slash A-A-W or use the code A-A-W at checkout. Caraway non-toxic cookware made modern. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that 97% of women aged 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet? Ritual is essential for women 18 and plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. I love Ritual and I love taking their Essential for Women 18 Plus every single day. One reason I love it is that it's gentle on an empty stomach and it has a minty essence, so every bottle feels refreshing and is actually enjoyable. It's also clinically backed multivitamin with high quality and traceable key ingredients, and they have industry-leading sustainability standards. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 and Over is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Rocket Money. Did you know that nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about? Embarrassingly, I am one of those as well. And Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you that otherwise could have been a time-consuming process. Between streaming services, fitness apps, and delivery services, it can be never-ending. So Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. They monitor your spending and help you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. I think that's amazing. I think it's just a testament to how cohesive your relationship is, that you're balancing all these different balls at once. And meeting Jeff, he's just such a good compliment to you. And I think that really speaks well to choosing a partner who really suits you and supports all of your ideas, even when they're crazy. I feel this way about Jason sometimes. And I'm like, I'm going to record a podcast in my closet. He's like, great. What do we have to buy? Um, But having that partner who's going to be supportive of you, no matter what it is, I think that's just so important.
1: It, it really is. I mean, right now, like, hey, can you take the kids to ballet so that I can do this podcast with Natalie? And can you do this so I can handle the clothing line that we're going to launch? He's very supportive of my crazy ideas. We're extremely, you know, you've met him yin and yang. And he's so Hawaii boy, type B, surfer, just very laid back. He's a skilled surgeon that doesn't take away from him being a physician, but our personalities are very complementary, and We've been able to find that in our practice as well. So his skill set's very different than mine. And so I naturally came to handle all the HR needs of the practice, the administrative, the personnel... Initially we tried to break everything up 50/50 and we found very quickly that doesn't work. We need to just go with what we're good at. I can't handle the servers and I get super frustrated when technology doesn't work. And he you. is cool about that so he can really handle all of those if our if our our practice management software is down, he will take care of it much better than I can.
0: You can tell me if I'm wrong. I want to ask you what the hardest and the best things about being in private practice are. And I have a feeling that for the best thing, you're going to tell me that it's autonomy, the practicing the way you want and doing things the way you want in clinic. Is that true? Is that what you Absolutely. think is the best
1: thing? I, I think autonomy on so many different levels in terms of building your practice the way you want it to be. I hire my my own employees. They are really bought into our company culture and they are drinking our Kool-Aid and they just want to perpetuate what I want to perpetuate as our clinic vision. And that's really key, I think, in being in private practice and having that kind of autonomy. And then also from a family perspective, being able to schedule when I want to. If my child has a piano recital, I'm going to block myself off. Or if we want to go on vacation, I can do that. And that's all really, really amazing. So. I love that autonomy. And I love being able to build and pave my own path in medicine.
0: I, I feel the exact same way. I think being able to have the flexibility of seeing patients when it works for you, but not just set in stone and then being able to manage them in a way you like. I find the hardest thing, and you tell me what your hardest thing. My hardest thing is writing the line between being the boss and being in charge of people and being Friendly or being their friend, I find that often, and I think it's a female thing. When I am unhappy with how a staff member is performing, and I express them that to them, even professionally, they don't take it very well. What do you think?
1: I do think that that's a hard line, and sometimes I think in the beginning of practice, eleven years ago. I was really careful, I think almost to the other extreme, I was trying to separate friendship from employee and I didn't want to get too close and I didn't want to joke around with my with my staff just in case they felt I was being too friendly and then I had trouble managing them. I've come with time to be able to figure that out and... I think it's a balance and I think it's fine to be friendly with, with your staff, but I think it's really important to always know that you are the boss and that you are in charge of of them. We spend so much
0: time at work. I do think it's important to be friends with the people you work with and enjoy them and share in some of those life moments when we're totally professional and we don't share in all the outside interests. It's like you're only being half of yourself. So I do think it's a, it's a blend there of being friendly and personal, but also still being the authority, the person in charge.
1: Right. Because I think we initially came up against a lot of problems where we were too friendly and too flexible with our staff. And, oh, you're going to be late because your son is, is sick every single day. You, know, you just can't run <laughs> a practice like that. That's, right. I mean, there have
0: to be boundaries, right? Exactly. Exactly. So What was the hardest thing for you in starting your own practice? That was a completely uncharted territory for you?
1: It was just all so overwhelming. I think managing staff, which we have no experience doing in training. I mean, I was chief resident during my residency. So you're, I was in a leadership position. It's very different than actually having people that you're paying. Handling the books, that was a huge one, doing the quick and figuring out the banks and, and the loans and how much money should we ask for. That was really, 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 really Scary for us, and I was really it was really important for me to be able to learn all of that because the office, the uh, physician that we hired that we bought the practice from, was embezzled $700,000 from his office manager. So I thought when we went into it, I need to know everything from the ground up like where is the money going, how much do we make per exam, I need to know the coding, I need to know the billing, I need to know the chain where everything is. And that took a long time to learn. It took a year of just constant reading. And that was huge. Yeah, you're
0: always still learning. And that's learning about something you had no idea of before, right? How to do the books and the financial aspect of everything.
1: Absolutely. That practice management side is something you don't even think about. And making sure that you're billing correctly or that you're on the right insurance plans. These are all things that you start and you have no gamma aid lines to be able to help you.
0: When you and Jeff decided to have kids, so you obviously got married and training, so you didn't have him ahead of time. Before that, were you were you worried about having kids at all? Was your fertility something? I remember being in med school with my friends and I was dating Jason at the time, but I remember studying and saying, should I go into this field? When will I have kids? Is this field too hard? Is being really concerned about the timeline to having kids. What was your experience like?
1: That it was very similar to me. I, I don't think it really impacted my choice of career, but it was always in my mind, especially because when I was in med school, I was dating someone, but weren't really in not sure if that was going to be the relationship that ended up in marriage and i always knew that i might have a problem with fertility i was a former gymnast i had that kind of body type where i had my period every 3 months or every 45 days and it was so variable that i never knew what my cycle was going to be so i suspected that getting pregnant was going to be an issue and you read everything in medical school you learn about the declining fertility rates of you know past the age of 30 and past the age of 35 and you're so horrified but what can you do at that time there was no egg freezing so If I could go backwards and be in med school now, for sure I would freeze my eggs because it would decrease some of that pressure that I felt to find my significant other.
0: Yeah, I think it's so true. You know, egg freezing, for those who are listening who don't know, it was experimental until 2012. So back in the day when we were in med school, totally did not exist. It was get pregnant or not have a baby. Or not have, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. When did you decide? So once you and Jeff got married, when did you decide this is a good time for us in my career to have kids? And did you worry about the impact of having a child or being on maternity
1: leave and what that would do for you professionally? So I was so concerned about the fertility that we started trying as soon as we. Got married and we were very lucky and got pregnant within six months, which was a surprise. We literally found out we were pregnant in the very first weekend when we moved to Hawaii. And we were so excited, but it was also extremely scary. We did not draw salary for ourselves the first six months of our practice. We were living at my mother-in-law's house. I mean, there were a lot of things that were not ideal about the situation, but I think there's just never a perfect time to have children. And for us, I was really desperate to have kids. I've loved children since I was a child and always did babysitting. And as a pediatric ophthalmologist, it's always just been first and foremost in my mind. So we just went with it, of course, and it worked out. It was actually a great time in our first year of practice because I was still building my side of the practice. So I was able to take two months of maternity leave and it didn't really affect my patient volume. I actually think it would be much harder, more established in my career to take two months off right now and come back to my patients. So I, I think it was a perfect time for me and building our career, though it was very scary when we found out.
0: Now, when you, you know, struggling with fertility and being a woman in medicine and feeling like you know so much, I always think that doctors are terrible patients, because we freak out about everything. I know when I had infertility issues, I told nobody, I mean, Jason knew, but like nobody else knew. It wasn't something that was discussed. It wasn't something I felt comfortable talking about. I feel like I was really hiding it. What was your experience going through that phase of the journey?
1: So, you know, with our first one, we got pregnant right away six months. So, We were excited we were happy i just thought this is great it'll be this easy to get pregnant with my second one so i think i was 34 and it had taken about six to nine months and i still wasn't pregnant and i started seeing an rei because i figured i'm very close to 35 we don't want to mess around with this let's just be proactive and then i ended up getting diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome pcos and i was so shocked because I read about it in med school and I didn't fit that phenotype of what I learned as being someone with PCOS. I wasn't overweight. I wasn't her suit. I just thought that the the doctor had a wrong diagnosis. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I'm going to check Google. <laughs> so that was a really hard one for me to swallow, to be honest. And it's something we didn't talk about.
0: Yeah, I think that I always say there's two different phenotypes with PCOS. There's this lean, thin PCOS, and there's an overweight version where your fat cells are making estrogen and contributing to the disease. And I really do find my lean PCOS, just what you're saying, they're just shocked by the diagnosis and they can't even process what you're telling them because they're just, no, I'm super healthy. Nothing's wrong with me. No, I run a marathon. I'm fine. It's like that stuff doesn't matter. Your ovaries are not working. It's an endocrine disorder, just like if your thyroid wasn't working. Exactly. I think that's the hardest thing. Just you get this diagnosis and you're not at all prepared and you're a woman in medicine, you're a doctor, you know, and you weren't prepared for it. So you can only imagine what that's like for somebody who's not in medicine. These words feel totally foreign, A different concept.
1: Absolutely. And I think it's just, it's so difficult because then you feel... Did I do this to myself? Should I have not been so athletic when I was younger? Did I somehow create this syndrome? I mean all of those things. I think when you are going through infertility, you put a lot of blame on yourself and you know, when I was going through it, I really didn't talk about it with anyone. I talked about it a little with uh, my sister-in-law because she's an endocrinologist, but basically we kept it very close to just Jeff and I discussed it. I didn't really even talk about it with my mother that much. So I think not having that support was really hard, too, because you just you blame yourself. You feel like such a failure every time you get a period. There's so many emotions going on as you're going through the fertility process and the treatments. And we went through IUI, and we were lucky to get pregnant with our second with IUI, and we didn't have to go through IVF. But I can only imagine that that's even more so.
0: Yeah, I think it's so true. And all of my fertility patients or women who have fertility issues who are listening, I'm sure they're nodding their heads because there's so much blame and shame and stigma along the journey. And I'm so constantly impressed by all the women on social media who are putting it out there, you know, using, you know, their real name, sharing their whole journey, real time. This is what's happening, the good, the bad, the ugly. And I think they're doing a great job of changing the story. You know, I came to this space to spread awareness about fertility and the thought that we can educate women with basic facts that we're not taught. But I think the most powerful thing are these women sharing their real stories. And that's making a huge difference in other women's life.
1: I think it's amazing and they're so brave to do it. And I think it just is helping so many women. If I had something like that, when we were going through it seven years ago, to be able to look on social media and read other people's stories and to know I'm not alone in this, I think that would have been really helpful because it it is very isolating in many ways. And perhaps I isolated myself, but I think it just feels that, It's what we did. You know, I think we we all
0: isolated ourselves. So I'm happy to see that it's changing. And now, a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. My closet has a tendency to get chaotic and crammed with a bunch of clothes that I don't really want to wear. What's been a game changer for me has been upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have a wardrobe full of luxury and classic essentials, and I stayed on budget. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50-80% to less than similar brands, and they do this by partnering directly with top factories, cutting out the middleman and passing the savings on to us. In addition, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing and premium products and finishes. I personally am loving the linen pieces as it's Texas and summer is upon us. Indulge in affordable luxury Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash cool. i I'm curious for you. So busy working mom of three, owns her own practice. What was the driving factor for you to open up this Instagram account?
1: So the initial reason I started it was, I think, probably very similar to you, with was patient education. I see a lot of patients with strabismus or misaligned eyes, and so many of them just don't know that surgery is an option. They've been told no a million times by seeing doctors that just are not that aware of the disease and what's, what's available to them and what insurance covers. And so I started it by wanting to just spread some, some patient awareness and patient education, And as my following grew, I realized it was a space for female mentorship too. I think I'm significantly older (laughs) at 43 than many of the other women in healthcare that are on this space. And I think it just helps to see someone that's gone through this, that's gone through being in private practice for over 10 years and having kids in practice and and trying to juggle it all. And so that space has been so new to me in that in that perspective because i it's not something that i expected at all
0: yeah i totally agree with you i think the camaraderie the community the networking opportunity that social media has given me personally but i know others that was just a foreign concept, but it's life changing. And I think the connections that you make, they're not just these superficial, we all joke about internet friends. Oh, you're an internet friend. But the truth is, I mean, you're one of my closest real friends. And when I'm going through hard things, when I've gone through some of the hardest stuff of changing practices and feeling unsure of myself, you were right there for me really changing how I viewed the negotiation process and what I should be looking for. And that's, more than friends i mean that's real life stuff that's really making Absolutely. a huge difference in your life and that connection all came from here for me you know i know i told the story kind of, of how we decided to start pinnacle conference but this was really an idea brewing i believe inside of you for much longer and my transition um, job transition kind of brought it out because you said why don't we all know this but tell me you know what kind of fueled this for you
1: I was getting so many messages on social media from people asking me, how do you know how much money to ask for in the bank loan? How do you write a pro forma? How how do you reconcile your QuickBooks? I mean, the business side, the management side. And I just was talking with my brother during Thanksgiving. He said, women and men should know this, but I really feel that women are at a disadvantage because of our gender and the gender pay disparities often that we we encounter in our daily lives as well as our lack of negotiation skills and I felt like this is something that we really need to address we need to be able to teach women how to be able to be successful in private practice so that they're not scared of it because I think it's an amazing opportunity for so many women but I think a lot of women go in different other routes once they graduate from residency or fellowship because it's easier and it's safe and this is a little bit of an unknown. And I thought, let's just make this more of a known for them. Let's prepare people for this so that they can have this kind of work-life balance, harmony, fit, whatever you want to call it, that we have. I
0: totally agree. I think that the whole conference is going to be so inspiring. You know, knowing the speakers that we have lined up and just this opportunity to have 250 female physicians together, all kind of growing and building together. I'm just thrilled for it. I'm going to start here and say, planning a conference is a lot of work. I mean, it's, it's like so much work. It's like, as soon as you said it, we all said, yes, man, we started running with it. And I think we've been going nonstop getting it planned, but that's also something totally foreign. I know we've all been to a lot of conferences, but planning one, there are so many small details you have to think of when you're kind of pulling something on this scale together.
1: Absolutely. And we all have this idea of how we want to make our conference unique and a little bit different compared to the conferences that we attend. And so trying to make it our vision while also making sure we check off all the check boxes. Oh, we gotta make sure we have food, we gotta make sure we have (laughs) bags, all of those little details, there's a lot. But yeah. E- extra champagne
0: everywhere. I think that's my yes. contribution. Yes. <laughs> Should we have champagne at that? And the whole team
1: says, yeah, yeah, great idea. <laughs> champagne makes everything better.
0: I know. I'm gonna go ahead and say here, you know, pinnacleconference.org is the website. You can also follow on Instagram at Pinnacle Conference. Registration is going to open this week on Thursday. So if you're listening to this in real time, it's going to open on Thursday. And people will have access early if you're on the email list. Otherwise, you won't. So make sure that you're on the email list to get early access to registration. And we're going to have a little benefit for everybody who registers in the first 48 hours, right, Rupa?
1: Yes. So the people that register the first 48 hours are going to have access to a special VIP reception, which is about an hour earlier than the dinner gala, just a more intimate space to be able to network and chat and... and just have that camaraderie and that sense of community. And I think that's going to be really special as well. And I think this is just going to be amazing. I'm so excited for it to get all this, these amazing physicians all across the country, some from even Canada want to attend, just to get people together that have been talking with each other through social media. To get this tribe together is just going to be so, so unique.
0: I think that's such a good point, you know, getting the tribe together. The truth is that we all have such a shared common experience that a lot of people in our outside of medicine life can support us and love us. But balancing a family and a career and social media and these other things, you often feel like you're pulled in so many different directions at once and not everybody understands that. I did an episode a couple of weeks ago about work-life balance And I, you know, tons of questions about it. And as we're wrapping up here, I want you to tell me, you know, what are some of your pointers in work-life balance? I know we feel similarly that there's no separation of personal, professional life. We just got to blend it all together and be true to who we are and what matters to us. But what are some tips that you do to both take care of yourself for you and Jeff to balance everything? How do you keep it all going?
1: So I... You and I definitely feel very similarly about this because I think there is no real separation between work and life. It's just all smushed together because we're not two halves of one person. We're all together. And so my children are all very involved with our work. We bring them to the office. They stay there in the nursery during the day. I mean, they are very involved with our work. They know what we do. But then that also means we need to take time for ourselves. So Jeff and I really try to make sure we get in at least twice a month date nights. I think that's been really important because there's a tendency when we work together for us to talk shop all day long, whether it's about the business or about the kids or about you know certain surgical outcomes. It's very easy for us to fall into that. And I think it's really important for us to talk books and TV shows or whatever else is going on, what we find interesting and to reconnect on that level. Sometimes because we have that tendency to talk shop a lot, we'll do double dates with other people outside of medicine to keep the topics off medicine. That's been huge. So we just did a date night last night, which was so fun and just so spur of the moment with another couple and was wonderful to be able to have that time to ourselves and get dressed up and just be with each other in that way. And the other thing is, you know, I used to get so stressed out about self-care. I thought it was about scheduling massages or mani-pedis. And then I would get stressed out about not having enough time to get those things done. And that's not what self-care is about. I think it's like we've talked about, it's carving out that time for yourself. So I did my Peloton bike ride this morning. And for me, that's just... Me too.
0: I did mine too.
1: Yay. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. We're not Peloton bike commissioned people. (laughs) I, I love just having something. It's very quick, but just taking that 20 to 30 minutes every single day, whether it's exercise or journaling or whatever it is just for myself, where it is something that's so special to me and it gives me time to reflect and start the day out right. That's been key.
0: I totally agree. I think it's just so easy, especially in medicine, but I'm sure for any working mom to lose herself in both the momming and the work and have it be nothing else. And just saying, hey, there's this little thing that is important to me. And I think it's a combination of time with friends or working out or journaling or going to counseling or whatever it is that you need to make sure that you're doing those things for yourself and understanding that not feel guilty about it. You know, there's no reason to feel... Guilty if you're going to let your kids watch a 30 minute show so you can get in a workout and then go be a better mom afterward. I'm totally a, a believer that that's okay. That's part of the balance, is that you don't have to be perfect all the time. Sometimes stepping away and saying, I need to do
1: this so I'll be better at all the
0: other things is really important.
1: And I think there's so much mom guilt everywhere working moms, stay at home moms. There's just a lot of guilt about taking that time for yourself. And I completely agree. I think it makes me a better physician. It makes me a better mother. It makes me a better person because I'm much more centered when I've had that little bit of time for myself to just rejuvenate and restore myself. So yeah.
0: Totally agree. Rupa, we are going to go ahead and end this. I just can't thank you enough for being here. I think everybody's going to love listening to this. If you will wrap us up by reminding everybody how they can find you on social and where all
1: you are. Thanks so much, Natalie, for having me. So much fun just chatting with you. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Rupa Wong, D R R U P A W O N G, Dr. Rupa Wong on Instagram. I'm also at the same place on YouTube. And I actually have a blog, which is the exact same name. So everything is drrupawong.com.
0: I want to thank Rupa so much for being here and talking with us. And I want to thank all of you so much for listening to this episode of As a Woman. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD. You can follow the blog of the same name, nataliecrawfordmd.com. And you can rate, review, and share this show. And that means so much to me. For more info on Pinnacle Conference, which we talked about, pinnacleconference.org and the Instagram at Pinnacle. Thank you.